0: Hello, this is Dr. Mike Barnett with the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Thank you so very much for tuning in to our podcast, and I pray that today's message will be a blessing and an encouragement to you. We are engaging our people at First Baptist Church in an emphasis called Who's Your Mission? It is a challenge to personal soul winning and personal evangelism for the year 2023. We've asked our people to ask God for at least one soul to be burdened for, that they might go after that soul and win them to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the theme of these current messages. And I pray that they will encourage you to be a soul winner and go after one soul that needs to be saved now and to know Jesus now. I pray these messages will help you. And again, thank you for tuning in. Thank you, choir. I like uh I like singing about the cross and that last uh you can bury the workman." There's several ways to take that I, I Here I'm about to preach, and Jay's looking at me singing, "You can bury the workman <laughs> i'm uh I'm very glad we have a good working relationship. Uh, I do believe I could take him if necessary. But what a truth that is, how humbling that is. Folks, we've got to pass that baton to the next generation. And that really fits in with what we're going to talk about today from 2nd Samuel chapter 10. 2 Samuel chapter 10. As we journey through this book, we are at David's experience where he's at his best. He's at his best. Next week, we're going to see that he's at his worst, and we're going to see his fall into sin, and uh, we're going to spend some time in chapter 11 and chapter 12, at least two or three weeks, but David is at his best. He's showing us much about the Lord Jesus Christ in this, these two chapters. Last week, we read about the marvelous account, one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible, of David showing kindness. Remember that word, kindness? It's the Hebrew word, kesed, which means total, one-sided, committed, loving kindness, grace and mercy, unmerited, undeserved and you remember that word. You've got to remember it because it's going to show up again today. And he showed kindness in chapter 9 to a young man by the name of Mephibosheth. Remember that name. He was David's, uh, John, uh, Saul's grandson, but Jonathan's son. And he receives the grace of God. From David, the grace of David, and sits at David's table for the rest of his days. This morning, we're going to see David extending his grace to another. This time, it's to a Gentile king. Last week, we saw him extend grace to a Jewish man. Now we're going to see him extend grace to a Gentile man. Isn't that the, the plan of the gospel? Doesn't Romans 1.16 say, uh, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first, 1 Samuel 9, but also to the Gentile or the Greek. That's 1 Samuel, or 2 Samuel chapter 10. And so we see a picture of the gospel and its flow to all the world. It's a gospel for all the world. The grace of God has appeared to all men. The grace that brings salvation has appeared to all men, Paul would write. And so here we see it. The gospel of grace for the whole world. Last week, we saw that the gospel of grace, the grace of of David accepted, led to great blessing, great benefit, uh, great satisfaction, great glory for the kingdom. But this morning, we're going to see the grace of God rejected, and we're going to see a war on grace. And there is a war on the grace of God, and we're going to see that it leads to great bloodshed in the historical sense, but it always leads to death. It leads to death. And so let's read a little bit of chapter 10. And it came to pass after this, after David showed great kindness to Mephibosheth, that the king of the children of Ammon or Ammon died, and Hanan his son reigned in his stead. Then said David, I will show, what's that word? Kindness. There that word is because I'm going to show him unmerited, undeserved grace. I will show kindness unto Hanan, the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness unto me. And David sent to comfort him by the hand of his servants for his father. And David's servants came into the land of the children of Ammon. Let me give you a little bit of a background to uh this uh This text, this account, uh, from David's perspective, if you will. Um, As we read, the the old king of Ammon had died. His name was Nahash, as you read in the text. Now, there's a history between Israel and this king. It, It stretches all the way back to 1 Samuel 11, when Saul has just been anointed king of Israel. And uh, it's a volatile time. And Nahash, the man who's just died, decides he's going to go against Israel at a weak point. And so he marshaled his Ammonite army to the city of Jabesh-Gilead. You can read about this in 1 Samuel chapter 11. So he surrounds Jabesh-Gilead, this city of Israel. And the citizens, the leaders, the city aldermen walk out to the king, Nahash, and say, "Um, what are your um, terms? And uh, why don't you make a covenant with us and we'll serve you instead of uh, being slaughtered by your massive army. And Nahash says, let me take every male and poke out their eye, their right eye, as a reproach to Israel. He let me thrust out the right eyes of every male in your city, and then uh, serve us, and we'll have peace. Nobody will die. Isn't that interesting? And then the city aldermen say, Well, will you give us seven days to, to get some help over here? Because, you know, we we certainly don't want that, and we don't want to die. If you give us seven days, we'll we'll might get some help, and we'll fight it out. Nahash, in all his arrogance, says, okie-dokie. That's fine with me. And remember, Saul's just been anointed king. So the men of Jabesh-Gilead send out word, and Saul gets word. And what does Saul do? But he takes an ox and he cuts that ox into pieces and he sends pieces of that ox all over to all over the regions of Israel to every other city he can and he sends this message the men of Jabesh Gilead need us and if you don't come to war against the Ammonites to defend Jabesh Gilead this is what i'm going to do to all of your oxen and so Israel rallies and they go and they fight the Army of Ammon and Nahash is defeated and heads on back to Ammon. That's where he goes. And in the meantime, between then and now, David shows up on the scene. And if you remember, for years, he's on the run from Saul. David is destined to be king by the anointing of God, but he, he's on the run. Saul is wanting to kill him because Saul wants to be king. And despite what God says, Saul's not given up. And some say it's then, in that time period, when David and Nahash made a covenant. They, they got together and uh, they lived in peace, David's people on the run and Nahash, the Ammonite king. Others say it was after David was anointed king that he reached out to Nahash, the father of, of this young man, Hanan, and they. They became friends, and they made a covenant of peace. Either way, Nahash showed kindness to David, and David showed kindness to Nahash. And now the time has come that Nahash is dead. And David, being a king of peace, war was not David's norm. We read a lot about the battles of David, and we saw him killing Goliath but David was not a man of war war was not the norm for David these last few chapters we read great peace David extending grace and so David wants to ensure that Israel and Ammon would not be in war together and he wants to have a personal relationship and he wants to extend that covenant from Nahash to his son Hanan and so David says, I'll show Kessid. I'll try to keep this covenant going between our two nations and between me and him. And David does what David does. He reaches out in kindness. And he seeks to comfort him in his loss of his father. And extends great courtesy to him. As did His father. This is David's offering of grace. Just like God offers you grace for salvation, David is offering this man a gracious relationship built upon loving kindness and mercy. So, hence, we have a great lesson on the grace of God. Last week we saw the grace of God received this morning in the next chapter we see the grace of god rejected so let's look and see what happens read with me in verse beginning verse 3 David's men his ambassadors show up and verse 3 says and the princes of the children of Ammon said unto Hanan their lord thinkest thou that David does honor thy father that he has sent comforters unto you? Hath not David rather sent his servants unto you to search the city and spy it out in order to overthrow it? Wherefore, Hanan took David's servant and shaved off the one half of their beards and cut off their garments in the middle, even to their buttocks, and sent them away. When they told it unto David, he sent to meet them, because the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, Tarry at Jericho until your beards be grown, and then return. The first lesson we learn from this is there is an antagonism toward the grace of God. The grace of God is offensive. You say, well, it doesn't sound offensive to me. That's because you've received it. That's because you love it. That's because you've read your Bible. That's because you understand the words to amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It's because you understand what the author of that great hymn said when he said, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace those fears relieved.'" You know about the grace of salvation. But most people do not know about the grace of God. And the grace of God is offensive to many, just like David's extension of kindness and grace was offensive to young Hanan. You see, it's because grace is offensive because it attacks man's pride. The grace of God says, You are a sinner. You do not deserve any good thing from God. You only deserve His wrath. He is so holy and just, and you are so sinful. Your pride is offended by that. When you declare the gospel, it can be a word of life or a word of death to them, depending on how they receive it or reject it. And so the grace of God is offensive How dare you tell me I'm a sinner and need your grace, that I cannot fix myself, that I cannot improve myself, that I cannot make myself fit for heaven. How dare you say that? And see, the grace of God is very insulting to one's pride. And the antagonism of that, the antagonism against the grace of God is being more and more manifest in the young people of our nation. It's the same thing as we see in chapter 10. The young people of our nation are doing on the most part three things. The same things that Hanun did, this young king, this young man. They're doing the same things that he has done. Let's look and see what he's done. First of all, he has abandoned the faith of his father, and that is what is happening in our country today. The faith of our fathers is being abandoned by the young people of our nation. Solomon would later write a proverb, twenty-seven, ten, and he would say, "Thine own friend and thy father's friend forsake not." Hanan forsook. The friend of his father, David. He forsook him. And so we see an antagonism toward the grace of God today because young people, young people are abandoning, they are abandoning the faith of our fathers. You say, well, preacher, I see that. I mean, it doesn't take long to. Watch the news and see where young people are today in our nation. You say, but preacher, we live in the buckle of the Bible belt. This is Mississippi. It's not happening here. Are you sure? Let me show you something. Well, I can't show you. I'm going to tell you. As it stands right now in the state of Mississippi... The fastest growing religion in the state of Mississippi is none. Absolutely no affiliation, religion at all. The statement, Jesus is the only way for salvation, just one-third of the citizens of the state of Mississippi, just one-third agree with that statement. Two-thirds do not agree with that statement. Two-thirds would tell you there's many ways to heaven. In the state of Mississippi, not only that, given the statement, I have a personal relationship with Jesus, I have a personal relationship with Jesus, 61.5% of the citizens of the state of Mississippi disagree with that statement. The majority of people in the state of Mississippi are lost. And if they died today, they'd be in hell. 61.5% disagree and say, I do not have a personal relationship with Jesus, and I have no opinion about it. That's the state of Mississippi. That's the state of Mississippi. Mississippi. That's where we are. And you say, well, preacher, that's because we got a lot of people moving in from California (laughs) or Oregon. I got some neighbors. They moved in from Seattle. That's what people say. So that's a lot of people moving in from, from outside our beloved state of Mississippi. I don't think so, because did you know? that in the last three years, the average population of the state of Mississippi fell by 10,000 people. The population of the state of Mississippi is a state in decline. More people are leaving our state than are coming in, which indicates that these statistics I just gave you, which come from a reliable source, the Mississippi Baptist Convention, those statistics show us that it's our young people. And when the kindness of God is extended to them as it was extended to us, moms and dads and granddaddies and grandmamas, they are antagonistic toward it. Our young people are lost. And so I'm going to say something to these young people in this front row. Aren't you glad our young people sit on the front row? Amen. We had to we had to bribe them. No, I'm playing. <laughs> Old-time preachers say they're sitting with a spit. will hit them and the fire won't. <laughs> I want to tell you what. These people behind you guys, your mamas, your daddies, your grandparents, those old enough to be, they are your fathers in the faith and your mothers in the faith the Lord Jesus Christ and the grace of God has sustained them for decades through the hard times, the easy times, the times when their faith and commitment was challenged. And they have given you a marvelous, wonderful example of what it means to be a Christian and to have a church home. Do not abandon their faith. Receive the grace of God that they have received. Amen. 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 And so that's what's happening, though, on a large scale. Just like this man said, I don't care what David thought of my daddy or what my daddy thought of David. Not me. Not me. And then the second thing Hanan did was and the young people are doing today, they are accepting the lies of the culture. When David sent these emissaries of grace to him to say, David wants peace. David wants to give you his grace, his loving kindness, and have a covenant with you, his counselors. Look what happened. His counselors came up. I could just see them, little old smart aleck punks. And here they come to David, and they say, Oh, do you really think That David is wanting to be kind to you? Do you really think that David is trying to comfort you? Do you really think he has a relationship in mind? Let me tell you why David's doing this. These men are not emissaries. They are spies. And David wants to overtake the land. That was a lie. And the young King Hanan listened to the lie. I'm afraid we have a generation of people who get their view of God from Google rather than Godly, the Word of God. I think Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat and just social media in general, whatever you want to call it, I think that's where people are getting their views rather than from the Word of God. And they are listening to the lies Of the culture. And it permeates them. It even gets into the church. Sometimes I feel like. I'm at a guard. All by myself. Guarding against. And standing against. Ungodly. Pagan. Demonic. Cultural philosophy. That even tries to permeate the doors. Of First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs. And they listen to the lies rather than the Word of God. Third thing, and this is where it leads to. Notice this is a digression from abandoning the faith of the fathers. They go from abandoning truth to accepting lies. That's what happens. See, you just can't say, I'm neutral on these things. You just can't say, well, I don't have an opinion on it. I'm fine. No, 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 no. It's always going to go from one step down. It's going to go from abandoning the faith of your fathers to accepting the lies of the culture and eventually, and we've seen it in parts of our country, to abusing the ambassadors of Christ. When these men showed up in Ammon, they took them and Hanan shaved off half their beard and cut the garments off to the hips to embarrass And ridicule and humiliate them. Cutting off the beard was to ridicule their manhood. Beards back then were a symbol of masculinity. A symbol of of prestige. You, You had a beard. Aaron had a beard. Jesus had a beard. It was a sign of masculinity. And so they cut off, shaved off half the beards. And embarrassed, cut their clothes off to ridicule them as they would walk out of that country being sent back home. And that's what happens today. Get ready. If it hadn't already happened to you, it will. If you're going to share Christ, you're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be persecuted. It is coming. The digression is here in the Bible Belt South. Abandon the faith, accept the lies, and now abuse the emissaries of the grace of God. It is occurring one step at a time. Say, preacher, I don't believe we're there yet. Share the gospel at work. Share the gospel at school. See what happens. And it's getting worse and worse and worse. You see, David... Heard about it. Let's, David heard about it. And on their way back, he had somebody meet him and say, uh, don't, don't come back to Jerusalem. Stop here in Jericho, which was on the way. Jericho was not, not a big city at all. It was kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And, and, and just stay here, tarry here in Jericho. It's easy to get new clothes, but give it some time, and your beards will grow back. And so I want to share with you, if you've been discouraged... In your witness for Christ, and you've sat back and said, I don't, I, I'm just being rejected. Don't worry, your beards will grow back. Amen. Don't worry. God will give you a rest and a reprieve, and that's okay, but then get back in it. Get back in it. And David teaches us that a faithful witness bringing glad tidings of the grace of God may very well be mistreated. Because of the hatred for Christ and the hatred for His grace. But the good news is, your beard will grow back. And by the way, it's easy to get new clothes. And they did. Well, that's the generation we're facing, dear friend. And that's why, who's your mission, is so important. Solomon would write in Proverbs chapter 30, There is a generation that curses their father and does not bless their mother. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes and their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are as swords and their jaw teeth as knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. And that's where our nation is abandoning the faith of our fathers. And by the way, let's not give them a reason to abandon it. Live it out dynamically and lovingly in the power of the Holy Spirit so they will be attracted to it rather than repelled from it. And then be joyful about it. Amen? Be joyful about your faith. Talk to them about the goodness of God in your life. But once they abandon the faith, they'll accept the lies, and then one day they'll have a great... Aggression against the people of God. And that brings us to the next thing. Let's read in verse 6, and we're going to see aggressiveness against. It goes from an antagonism against the grace of God to an aggressiveness against the grace of God. See, you never remain neutral. Let's look at it and see. And when the children of Ammon saw that they stank before David, the children of Ammon sent and hired the Syrians of beth Rahab and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 footmen, and of King a 1,000 men, and of Ishtob, 12,000 men. And when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the host of mighty men. And the children of Ammon came out and put the battle in array at the entering end of the gate And the Syrians of Zobah and of Rehob and of Ishtob and Mekah were by themselves in the field. And when Joab saw that the the front of the battle was against him before and behind, he chose of all the choice men of Israel and put them in array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people he delivered into the hand of Abishai his brother, that he might put them in array against the children of Ammon. And he said, If the children... If the Syrians be too strong for me, then thou shalt help me. But if the children of Ammon be too strong for you, then I will come and help you. Be of good courage, and let us play the men for our people, and for the cities of our God, and the Lord do that which seems him good. And Joab drew nigh, and the people that were with him into the battle against the Syrians, and they fled before him. And when the children of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fled, then fled they also before Abishai and entered into the city. So Joab returned from the children of Ammon and came to Jerusalem. And when the Syrians saw that they were smitten before Israel, they gathered themselves together. And Hadarezer sent and brought out the Syrians that were beyond the river, and they came to to Helam. And Shobach, the captain of the host of Hadarezer, went before them. And when it was told, David, he gathered all Israel together and passed over Jordan and came to Helam. And the Syrians set themselves in array against David, and he fought with them. And the Syrians fled before Israel, and David slew the men of 700 chariots of the Syrians and 40,000 horsemen, and smote Shobak, the captain of their host, who died there antagonism toward the grace of God will always lead to aggression against the grace of God I think we've seen that in our country you know you have a war on Christmas you have a war on all kinds of things it started out with let's get rid of any semblance of Bible reading and prayer to the God of the New Testament uh, from our schools in the 60s and it progresses on it's always controversial, you know. There's always an aggressiveness against the grace of God by those who hate it and it offends their pride. What's interesting to me is you never you never see an atheist go after the Easter Bunny. I've never seen I've never seen any group that goes against Santa Claus. Never have. I, I've never seen a group that go against any of uh, those. Traditional myths that sometimes we embrace. But boy, I won't tell you what, when it's against God, they go after Him. For some reason, that's terrible. That's terrible. I don't see how. Kind of makes you wonder do they really not believe it? I think they just hate it. And so here we see the step of aggressiveness. No one who rejects the grace of God is neutral. The Bible teaches us that outside of Christ, we are all at war with God. We are at enmity against God. The Bible says that. You may not feel like you are an enemy against God, but that's what God says about you. And Christ came to reconcile us to God, to end that enmity. Well, here we see a picture of that enmity uh, on steroids. They go to war against the grace of God and against David who offered that grace. And notice in verse 6, they're convicted. The Ammonites are convicted. I I love the King James. It says, and when they saw that they stank before David. You might have a translation that says odious. In other words, they looked at themselves and says, we smell bad to David. We better marshal our troops. Notice it was not David who went to war with them. It was they who went to war against David. He was the one. They were the one. Hanan was the one who started this conflict, who started this bloodshed. And they were guilty of rejecting the grace of David, and they knew it. And instead of reconciling, they aggressively went to war. And this is how it is. Grace offends pride. It brings us conviction. And you go to great lengths and great expense to fight against the grace of God. 1 Chronicles 19, the sister text to this text, says that um, they paid the Syrians 1,000 talents of silver to be their mercenaries against David, to help them against David. Did you know that's the toll of about $25 million today? So Hanan, this young king, pays the Syrians $25 million To put an end to David's invitation of loving kindness. That's foolish, isn't it? Well, David sent Joab to battle. We read that a while ago. He sent Joab. Now, I want you to make a note. Joab is not the best of people. I would not want to be Joab's pastor. Although, I think I have pastored him sometimes to be. I guess it beats Pastor and Jezebel, amen? But Joab wasn't the best, Cole. I mean, he, he was a loose cannon, and we're going to see him do some terrible things later on. But, and, and next week, next week, Lord willing, 1 Samuel 11, Joab's going to get David exactly where he wants him. We're going to see that. So hold on, hold on. Next week, next week, preview right here. But here in chapter 10, Joab is at his best. It's incredible. And so let's look at a couple of things that, that Joab does. First of all, he engages his mighty men. Verse 9. Now, um, these mighty men, we're going we're to see later on. We're going to preach a couple of sermons on these mighty men. These are men that have been with David from before the beginning. They were men who joined David when he was on the run from Saul, when there was no idea, had no idea that he would be successful. But they joined David in the caves of En Gedi. They, they were very faithful men to David. And uh, there's, now they're called the mighty men. At one time they were disenfranchised, at one time they were in debt, they were down and out, but they came to David in the wilderness. And they were mighty men because they were faithful men to David. They served David at all costs. They served him with that loving kindness that David extended. I can highlight a few of them for you. Abishai, Joab's brother, was one of them. There's another one named Uriah. Anybody remember him? Come back next week. We'll talk about him. Joab was not one of them. But Joab had enough sense to recruit and enlist these mighty men in this particular fight. And so when he got to the battlefield, he saw that the battle was against him. No commander would have gone forward with this battle because it was a certain loss. He was surrounded. The Syrians, the Ammonites, they were all surrounded him. And then he made a mistake, traditionally. Traditionally. He divided his forces. He told Abishai, he said, Abishai, you take that group, and I'll take this group. And if this group starts whooping you, we'll help you. And if this starts whooping us, you help us. But he had his mighty men. Isn't it wonderful to have mighty men who you can count on when all looks bleak and lost? So Joab was at his best. And then in verse 11 through 13, not only did he engage the mighty men, but he encouraged his army. I love this. These are great words. He says in verse 12, or verse 11 rather. He says, be, let's be strong for each other. In verse 12, be of good courage. And let's play the men for our people. And for the cities of our God. And the Lord will do what seems good. And he drew nigh. Joab encouraged the people of God. You know, sometimes you just have to stand. Sometimes you just have to get in there with the sword and swing it. Brother Jeff, you just got to take your stand. And that's what Joab did. And he won a great victory that day. The Syrians fled. The Ammonites fled. They all fled. There was no battle. Verse 13, Joab drew nigh. And they fled before him. The Syrians ran away with $25 million. Hanan's forces had to flee. You cannot stand against the grace of God. Miracles are on the side of the grace of God. Hanan wasted his money. He wasted his money. And then in verse 14, Joab returns to Jerusalem in victory. But then after Joab returns with his army, something incredible happens. Now, I want you to catch this because this leads us to the next thing. Very important. Joab gets back to Jerusalem, and the Bible says in verse 19 that the Syrians decided that they were going to go, or I'm sorry, verse 14, that they would go and fight david the syrians regathered their army and the ones who were paid and decided to continue the fight maybe they said if we don't fight we got to give back this money i don't know but they they got together and they said the ammonites have run we got 25 million dollars let's go fight and so they gathered their army again to fight and they marshaled against israel and they even got a champion they got a champion commander. They got, they got a George Patton. They got an Aaron, Aaron Rommel. They got somebody they knew could win. His name was Shobach. And this man rallied the troops. And the Syrians said, go get them. We'll make 25 million and plus we'll get more when we conquer David. And off they go into battle. But something remarkable happened. David heard about it. And this time, He did not send Joab. He went himself into the battle. He left Jerusalem, put on his armor. If you come back next week, I want you to remember that line I just gave you. He put on his armor. He put on his armor. And David himself, the king, went into battle and he slew thousands of them isn't there going to be another king whose grace has been rejected and hated isn't there another king who has had his grace aggressively attacked and one day he himself will go into battle And when. Isn't that something? I want to tell you this is a picture of the coming of Christ. When every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Some because they've received grace today. And some because they've rejected grace today. But there will come a day. There will come a day when the King of Kings will personally fight his battle. Well, I want you to notice what happened. The last thing is, is the acceptance of the grace of God. Verse 19. And when all the kings that were servants of Heteres, the Syrian king, saw that they were smitten before Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. So the Syrians feared to help the children of Ammon anymore. God's not through. David's not through with Ammon. We're going to see something next week. But the Syrians said... We cannot beat this man. We cannot defeat him. So they made peace with him. And they served him. And they no longer gave their sword to Ammon. They said, it's done. We belong to David now. The acceptance of the grace of God. It is foolish for you to war against the grace of God. You cannot win. The grace of God does two things, two responses. Either you surrender to it today, or when the king comes from the throne to end the war against grace, you'll be succumbed by it, conquered by it. And there's no hope there. You want to surrender to the grace of God. Why don't you realize you're beaten? Nobody likes to be beaten, but I want to tell you something, friend. The grace of God is so wonderful because it beat the sin. It beat sin. It destroyed sin on the cross, and you can receive the grace of God and forgiveness for your sin, and you can no longer have your sword against Ammon or with Ammon and with this world. You can have the sword of the Spirit, the acceptance of the grace of God. So will you today surrender to the grace of God? You know, sin is a, uh, such a terrible thing, but people love their sin. They, they rejected Jesus because they love darkness. And there's no salvation apart from the light of the world who is Jesus. And there's no salvation apart from the grace of God. Whatever you've done, however much you've ever hated God or hated the message of the gospel or put it off or pushed it away, you can receive the grace of God today and be saved from your sin. Any sin you've ever committed. There's not a single sin. Next week we're going to see David commit adultery. We're going to see him commit deceit. We're going to see him commit murder. It's going to be awful. But even the grace of God, even the grace of God brings forgiveness for that before God. If you're not 100% certain that if you died today, you'd go to heaven, you need the grace of God. And I invite you to come forward and receive it. Cole and I will be standing up front. We're going to pray, stand together, sing a song of appeal. And all you need to do is just walk down this aisle. You just come on down. This aisle, that aisle, on the side, from the back. And you just come down take one of us by the hand and say, I need the grace of God, and we'll know what you're talking about. And we'll help you. That's all you need to do. Don't fight against the grace of God. It's going to get worse on you. You're going to get more and more hard toward the grace of God, just like this kid did in our Bible. So come forward. Receive the grace of God today.